Welcome to the Top Advisor Podcast, brought to you by Proud Mouse Influence Accelerator Academy. I'm your host, Bill Cates. In each episode, I interview one of the financial service industry's top performers to learn their secrets to sustain success. These short interviews will get right to the heart of what each top advisor is doing to acquire more right fit clients. You'll be reminded, renewed, and inspired to take powerful action. You'll impact more lives and increase your income at the same time. Now, on to the show. Over the last 26 years or so, I've coached and interviewed quite a few successful financial advisors, and some advisors like to keep kind of an arm's length with their clients, keeping everything strictly on the professional to professional level. Other advisors enjoy the process, whether it's planned or organic, of of turning many of their clients into not just business friends, but even personal friends. So I found that the secret sauce for turning satisfied and loyal clients into advocates, into those who will talk about us, is what I like to call the business friendship. Engaged clients will refer and introduce you, and your business friendship clients become advocates for you. I suspect many advisors listening right now have created a number of business friendships and know exactly what I'm talking about. So along these lines, my guest today has initiated a program that he calls the Bucket List Campaign. Now, this is not to be confused with the Bucket Plan book by Jason L. Smith, which is a pretty good book, by the way, or the Bucket Financial Planning Process. Uh, So before I give everything away and render this interview uh, useless, hailing from Little Rock, Arkansas, Lester Matlock, CFP, CRPC, APMA, welcome, Lester, to Top Advisor Podcast. Thank you, Bill. Glad to be here. Well, great to have you because I enjoyed our little preparatory interview, and I just knew this was going to have some good value for uh, our top advisors listening So before we get into this main topic, this uh, business friendship and bucket list campaign that you're doing, uh, when we spoke a while back, you told me that your practice was going through a a big transition. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that transition, transitioning from what to what and, you know, how it's taking shape now? Absolutely. I I think when we spoke, I was sharing that after two and a half decades in the career, uh, I was receiving clients from all over the board. We were getting a lot of referrals, but but I hadn't really focused on a niche market, which meant I was going wherever people were <laughs> to get clients. And I woke up one morning and I found that I was serving on 11 boards. I was going 100 miles an hour. Uh, I had lots of clients that were out of segment. And after you know, two and a half decades, I thought this is, this is not, this is not the way it should be. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I, I made some changes and, and began to do some things differently in my practice. So I believe that one of the things you did was, was sell part of your practice to move other clients to someone else who was more excited to serve them. Tell us about that a little bit. Yes. And that was part of a long process of things. Mm-hmm. And I'll be brief in sharing that with you. I'd hit a stage where I just, I felt overworked and kind of underappreciated in general. And I'm sure many other advisors have probably felt that way. And and so I knew I had to make some changes. I looked at uh, about a third of my book of business. That was kind of that lower third. Uh, I found a young advisor up and coming who was happy and had more time than I to serve those clients. So I, I sold him that book of business and began working with, you know, primarily those 
those top tier clients that uh, that I wanted to duplicate. Mm. And and you started to focus on a bit of a niche, uh, you, you, uh, be more targeted, not just wherever people were. <laughs> Absolutely. What I recognized was when I had more time, mm-hmm. I had more time to think. Mm-hmm. And so I sat down with my client list and I said, you know, who are the folks I really enjoy working with? Where are they at? Where are they coming from? And the eureka kind of hit. Wow, I'm getting a lot of clients from this particular segment mm-hmm. of the market. Uh, particularly from this organization. I enjoy working with them. Several of them are advocates. They refer. And the light came on and I said, I I just need to focus on going after this particular market. So what market was that exactly? So that was the medical university here in town. Uh, Many of my clients uh, are professors, deans, work in the administrative areas of of the medical university. And I recognize I just I really enjoyed working with them before I knew it. I was serving on boards over there and just becoming really active and speaking to graduating students, et cetera. Hmm. That's great. It's always I mean, we've talked about this in other uh, episodes of Top Advisor, Advisor Podcast about nesting in a company, nesting in a university, any kind of target market does seem to make things easier. So what, what type of relationships do you like to have with your ideal clients? Uh, you know, it, it, are you trying to go for this, you know, in quotes, business friendship, something more? And, and, and how do your clients uh, react? What do they want from you? Uh, give us a sense of, 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 you know, kind of an ideal relationship with an ideal client. Well, I, I don't know, Bill, if you coined the phrase business relationship, but I had not heard of that. In, business in, friendship, you mean. The bis- business friendship. Right. Okay. I'd not heard of that in the context mm-hmm. until, uh, until you and I were talking. And that's probably how I would describe my relationship with most of my clients. Mm-hmm. And for me at this stage, that's most enjoyable. Uh, the transactional side of things just doesn't it doesn't satisfy me as much as getting to know the clients, uh, relating to them. I know their children. We've we've you know we travel together. We go to dinner together, mm-hmm. and it's just become uh, they're they've become part of of my life and my family's life. And we talked about uh, this concept, uh, it's not a new concept, but m- multiple touches with your clients on different levels. What are, what are some of the things that you do with, with clients to uh, uh, accentuate that business friendship? From birthday cards, we send out birthday cards every year. I write, I do personal birthday cards. I don't buy the bulk cards where everyone gets the same card, particularly when you have so many folks working in the same environment. Uh, so so it, uh, it requires me and I like to do that. I go to the Hallmark store and I pick out cards and, and unique ones and I write personal notes. I put in there a five or a $10 Starbucks gift card and, you know, hey, have a, a cup of latte on me. Uh, those are some of the things we send flowers for special events. Sometimes we just send flowers just to say thank you for, mm-hmm. for being a client. Uh, every Monday morning, my team gives me a list. And uh, this is the list of folks that I just make random calls to through the week. Hey, just thinking about you, Bill. Uh, you crossed my mind. How are you? I just wanted to say have a great day. We'll talk soon. I love it. And 
and and it's a, it's a system. It's it's not a complicated system, hmm. but your staff is charged with the task of bringing you a list. Of how, how many how many folks each week or wherever we're talking about that you have to make these little check in calls? You know, it's generally eight to twelve. It's it's not a lot, and it's actually fun to do. And is it usually a voicemail that you leave, or or the, and they call you back, or and you're driving about, somewhere to give me a sense of that? So it's about half and half. You know, mm -hmm. I'm calling the cell phone in most instances. If they pick up, then it's a it's a short, brief conversation. Otherwise, you know, I'll leave a message and I'll tell them, hey, no need to call me back. I, you know, I know you're busy. Just wanted to let you know you crossed my mind, and I was thinking about you. Have a great day. And I know you've done some kind of high-end things uh, too that we'll talk about in a minute. So I, I do want to go deep uh, next up with your with this client bucket list campaign. Uh, I know there are a lot of fun, interesting things that you do that we can talk about. Uh, but first, let's pause for a quick word from our show's sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Proudmouth, the Influence Accelerators. We help you sell less and advise more by turning you into a recognized subject matter authority. Visit us at proudmouth.com to learn more about our Influence Accelerator services. You're listening to the Top Advisor Podcast, where I interview top advisors for top advisors. My guest today is Lester Matlock from Little Rock, Arkansas. Lester, it's time. Let's go deep into this bucket list campaign idea. What is it? How'd you come up with it? And how has it played out? It started with, and I'm going to use this, this phrase and term, I think a mutual friend of ours uh, has probably used this more than anyone I know. And, and it, he calls it intentional congruence. And, and that's getting up every day and saying, how do, I, how do I get what I want to accomplish, but also attack other tasks at the same time? And for me, I, I had my own personal bucket list and things that I wanted to accomplish. You know, you and I were talking of uh, my wife and I have wanted to visit all 50 states and we're down to the last state. And I thought, you know, this brings me excitement. And as I began to share that with clients, they would get excited. You know, every client comes in and wants to know how many more states do you have? And it was just in thinking about that, I, I said, I wonder, since this is so fruitful for me, what would it be like if I began to ask clients, what are the one, two, or three things that are on your bucket list? What would you absolutely want to do and accomplish? And then what if we set out as a practice to help them do that? Mm. I, I just think that's great. I mean, and that is the business friendship. And, you know, uh, the, the person that you're talking about, I'm going to mention his name is Travis Cheney. And both of us know Travis. In fact, that's how I met you, a referral from Travis. And uh, I remember he said something to me once, uh, something to the effect of, there's nothing worse than an unfunded dream, mm -hmm. right? Someone has a dream, bucket list, whatever you mm -hmm. want to call it, goal, but they don't fund it. They don't put the money aside. And it sounds like uh, while you're not necessarily paying for these things, or at least all these things, uh, you're organizing and helping to organize mm -hmm. and make them happen. Um, we're, you know, left to our own devices. We don't always do these things. Right. So, uh, so tell it, tell us about this, uh, bartender for a night thing that you did. I, I just found <laughs> it, it, it kind of funny. And I think this was early on in, in your figuring this stuff out. Right. So my wife and I were talking, uh, at dinner one time. Well, that's good and that your wife and you talk at dinner, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> and I, I, you know, so I was sharing with her, Bill, I said, you know, I would love to bartend. I, I've, you know, I didn't bartend in college. I just said, it, it, it'd be great to be a fly on the wall. I think mm. it's a cool job. And she said, well, why don't you do it? And I said, well, how do you do that? And if I started bartending, what would my clients think? They might right. think we've got the wrong guy here. if He's got a bartend at night. <laughs> so we were talking and, and I think through the course of dinner, she said, well, why don't you just do an event and bartend for them? And I thought that's genius. So, so I give this credit to my wife. Uh, and, you know, afterwards, I reached out to a local uh, establishment, restaurant, bar, and they allowed me to come in a couple of weekends before the event. So we, we oh, planned this. This practice, was a major huh? event. Oh. And I practiced and I found out, Bill, bartending is very hard. I don't want to quit my day job. <laughs> but but we put on this event. Uh, it was well received. We had lots of folks. Your only entry in was we had a huge chalkboard that said, what's on your bucket list? And your entry into our bartending event was you had to write on the list uh, on the board what your bucket list was, uh, bucket list item. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it turned out it was a wonderful event. We've got video from that and, and folks had a, a, a grand time. I made terrible drinks, by the way, but no one told me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if, you know, if they walked into a bar and saw you attending, like one of your practice nights, they're thinking, Either this guy isn't as successful as it looks like he is, or maybe he, you know, he really is charging us a lower fee. So he has to do this. So we save money on our fees with him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, what, what, what was the, uh, the hardest drink or the funnest drink, or do you, do you remember any one drink that you had to make that you totally screwed up? Or um, I'm just curious if any of that stands out. A lemon drop. And, and you would think that it would be an easy drink to make. Uh, it's a martini drink and, and, uh, and it's the, you know, have to have the right number of, um, you know, ounces of liquor to simple syrup and so mm -hmm. forth. And, and I was always grabbing the wrong measuring. And so the first few, you know, it's probably a little more alcohol than, uh, than needed to be, but, but I, I started to get the hang of it. So uh, people come in, they write their bucket list item on a chalkboard. Uh, that's pretty neat. Probably some uh, pretty interesting items, uh, some expected, some unexpected. Any stand out as different, unexpected? You know, I said at the end of my career, I was going to write a book about some of these. I, mm. I would not do that at this point. But, you know, I was meeting with a client some years back and she was estranged from her siblings. And I think at the end of, you know, the loss of the parents, they all kind of dispersed and it didn't end well. And, and it just wasn't a good scene. And that bothered her. And it seemed to come up a lot. And so as we began talking, I said, you know, if you, if you left this earth tomorrow, would you have any regrets? And she said, yeah, not being closer to my siblings. And we spent some time talking about that. And I said, well, what if you just put it out there and said, hey, I miss you guys. I'd love to spend some time with you. And what if you actually paid for you and all of your siblings to go on a cruise? Wow. And she said, well, well can I afford the first question? Bill, was, <laughs> can I afford that? And right. I said, 
I said, absolutely, you can. And we, we're not having to pull the money out of your portfolio today. I said, we can plan this out. We can let dividends, uh, you know, pay to cash. And, and, and so we did the financials behind that. Mm-hmm. And, but she was, she was nervous about right. reaching out to them because, you know, one brother she hadn't talked to in over two years. So, uh, but it's hard, I think, when, you know, when you're in that kind of arena where you've not spoken to siblings, but what does make it a little bit easier is when you say, I'd like to take you on an all expense paid trip, they tend to pick up the phone. <laughs> yeah, definitely. They'll, the ear will perk up for sure. <laughs> and they did. Uh, oh, and, and I think what pleases her and what pleases me most, and part of the reason I continue to do this was they didn't take siblings. It was, uh, I'm sorry, they didn't take spouses. They took their she just took the siblings and it was just the family. It was just the brothers and sisters. They had a great time. And that after that trip began to kind of mend and heal the relationship. They are, I assume, back to normal. They speak on a regular basis now. They've gone on to take other vacations and family reunions together. And, and wow. so, uh, so that was pretty powerful for me. Talk about touching lives beyond uh... Uh, your normal work. Uh, and t- tell us about a, a few other things. I know there were, I think you did a trip recently. Uh, I, I don't know, I guess it was before COVID, but uh, in my notes, something about 18 people going to a few countries. Tell us about yeah. that. Yeah. So again, one of the things on my bucket list, I'm going to, you're going to hear this intentional congruence. One of the things on my bucket list was to do one of these Viking trips these riverboat cruises, right. uh, you know, up the Danube and, and you hit, you know, multiple countries and that kind of thing. And so I, I said to my wife, how would you feel if I opened this up and just turned it into a client event? Hmm. And she said, her first question was, are we paying for everyone? <laughs> and I said, no, we aren't. But what we can do is is be the conduit and kind of facilitate and put everything in place. And we did that. My team worked to uh, to establish that. It took us about a year to do the initial planning, but it was something that I wanted to do. I just simply invited clients to be a part of it. We ended up taking 18 folks. Uh, we spent lots of time together when they got on the boat that first night. We had a nice welcome reception. I made sure that there was a bottle of wine and chocolate covered strawberries in their rooms. Every night there was a gift placed uh, on their bed after they come back from the day's excursion. And it was wonderful. We had three prospects uh, come to the event. And and I think it was within about two months after that event, a prospect said, you know, I just, I I think I want to move all of my accounts to you. It's only $3 million, but would you take a $3 million account? And I said, absolutely. And, and, uh, and he has not looked back, nor have I. Mm. Wow. So many questions, so many neat things. I, I guess uh, we're getting a picture of what you're doing. Can, can you give us, I, I just want to hear one more example. Just give me, I'm just, I'm fascinated by this, by the way. Uh, in, in, mo- in most cases, by the way, um, you're not paying for these things. You're just helping them facilitate, organize, envision, mm-hmm. save for, correct? Uh, correct. Correct. And, and um, yeah, so give us give us one one neat thing that you help somebody do if if you have another one in your bag. <laughs> Lots of them, you know. One of one of my clients wanted to. Uh, he was an avid golfer. Mm-hmm. He says, "I love everything 
about the golf course. I love the smell of it. I love the dew in the morning. He had plenty of money to retire. He said, I just, I could just go to the golf course and, and work. I could be the guy driving the, uh, the, the golf cart uh, deal that picks up the balls. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and, and I thought, you know, this is a guy who, you know, he's a member of the country club. He, but he wants to, he wants to just go be in this environment. So we talked for a while and I, I joked with him one day, I said, well, then when you retire, why don't you just go work at the golf course, work at the country club? And he said, I'd never thought about that. I don't know. What would people think? And I said, who cares what people think? <laughs> you, you know, if it's what you want to do, go do it. So for the last seven years, uh, if if you go play golf at this golf course, he is the happiest person there. Uh, a lot of folks think, gosh, he's, he's working because he needs the money. What they don't know is this guy doesn't have to work, but he gets up every morning. You cannot get him away from it. We held a a golf tournament two Mondays ago, and he was the first one out there getting all the carts ready for us and and uh, telling us what the holes were going to be like and what the greens were, were, were like during that uh, that week. And so uh, so just a neat story. Uh, wonderful, wonderful story. So uh, folks listening next time you're out on the golf course and there's the the ranger, you know, getting you started on, on the first tee or whatever it may be. Don't assume this guy, you know, is working because he has to or she. Uh, maybe they just love being around the golf course. Um, give them something to do as well. So I, I think that's great. Um, so sounds like a lot of fun. Sounds like a fair amount of work. And I, and I, I just as an aside, uh, sounds like you have an incredible wife. Um, number one, she helps you with creative ideas for your business. Number two, she lets you turn this vacation into a client event. Uh, I don't imagine my wife would ever want to do that. <laughs> um, uh, what's, what's the payoff? I mean, what, besides you're having a good time and getting to know your clients and obviously you can see a payoff for them. I mean, they're realizing some big dreams, little dreams, but uh, client engagement for sure client loyalty, I would suspect. Absolutely. Uh, referrals, introductions, does it actually generate more assets or more clients? It does. It's, you know, we, we have what we call organic marketing and that's marketing within the practice. And, and most advisors would tell you, you know, there's excitement from bringing on a new client, mm-hmm. but boy, the pain you feel when you lose a client uh, far exceeds the joy of bringing on a new client. And so what, what we do with these events is it solidifies our existing relationship with clients. I, you know, my staff will say, you know, Lester likes to seal the window tight. And when, when you hear them say that, what, they, what I've taught them is we don't want to leave room for another financial advisor or, or a competitor to come in and say, I can do what Lester does, or, you know, just let me work with a portion of your portfolio here. So in many instances, we're trying to work with all of our clients, all of their assets, and be the number one stop for them. And, and that, I think, lends itself to the deepening of the relationship. But we also get lots of referrals from it. Mm-hmm. We have now kind of become known in, the, in our environment for our territory for 
uh, you know, those are the folks that, 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 you know, have the wonderful dinners and, you know, they do the bus ride to the horse races every year and so on and so forth. And I like the fact that that's how we're being recognized, not as the folks that, you know, will sell you a mutual fund or, or, you know, some transactional sort of, of relationship. So it seems to me you've, you've got, uh, you know, you're talking about intentional congruence. I, I see it in this case, a confluence of, um, you have a target market, a niche market. If you're Canadian, you have a niche market. And, uh, um, and because of that, you get to know their world better. You can serve them better in a lot of different ways. You know the, the strengths, weaknesses of their benefits packets, et cetera. So you can become a better advisor for these folks. And just through that, I think it's a little bit easier to create a reputation for yourself. Um, but because you're taking it to the ne next level of of really good business friendships, it seems to me that uh, it has become even easier for you to create a reputation. In fact, that you that you do have a reputation now in your target market. Is that a fair statement? That's a fair statement. It is, uh, and some of that's just the boards I've served on. You know, I, I think I started earlier saying I was at one point I was just I was on eleven boards, and I whittled that down to the ones I was most passionate about, and and. The medical university is is one, so I still serve on the boards over there, and and uh, we give of our time and our money and our our resources and our talents to uh, to the medical university. That's great. Uh, so I have one more question for you, but first, uh, you know, what's a challenge you're having in your business? What's a, a general area of client acquisition that maybe I can be of some service to you? Well, I'll start, Bill, as you now know, and many of the listeners, we do a lot of in-person live events. They allow us to let our personality come through. It allows our clients to mingle, et cetera. On average, prior to COVID, we were, we were averaging eight to 10 events a year and, and picking up you know six or eight clients from those events that were in segment. COVID came in and just kind of turned that on its heels uh, and we have done the virtual events. They're, they're not, quite frankly, just not as good. Uh, they're not in person. It's, it's hard to be personable. One of the things we enjoy about our events is that clients, our advocates, will, will talk to the prospects for us. And we don't have to do that. And that's just very hard to do in this virtual world that we're in now. So, so that's been a big challenge for me. We've seen it, you know, the new client acquisition slow down some. And I would highly attribute that to not being able to do those events, those in-person live events, or being able to go on campus and walk around and meet folks. They're not allowing folks to just come on the medical campus now or in the hospital uh, if you're not a patient and you don't have a reason to be there. So, so that's been a big challenge. I'd, I'd be curious to know for other advisors who primarily through in-person events, bring on clients, what are they doing and, and how are they finding success? Yeah. So it's been a challenge, no question. Um, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples, a couple of thoughts around this. First of all, uh, and this is true, whether it's in-person events or, um, or virtual or any kind of event you might do. Uh, one thing I always advise advisors when you're inviting people, especially if it's not like one specific couple with a few other couples, if it's a more of a group uh, thing, is uh, if there are people that, that you want there, make sure you call them. Don't just leave, you know, mailing uh, 
uh, email or mailing invitations to people. Because uh, it just, if this that personal touch of calling them and saying, hey, we have this, even, it could be an educational event too, right? I mean, if my advisor called me and said, uh, hey, Bill, you know, we got this mutual fund guy coming in or whatever, and, and he's talking about this, I think you find it very interesting. Uh, if he called me, I, you know, I'd look to, to attend. If I just get a, a letter, a flyer or an email from his firm, I probably wouldn't give it a second thought. So that personal, I like to do a, what I'll call a call mail call sequence where we call folks and let them know and that we have this event coming up and then uh, that they're going to get an invitation, whether it's in the mail or email, and that you're going to follow up to see, you know, if they can make it if they're going to, you know, who they've identified, they'd like to bring. So pay, pay good attention to the in, inviting process. So I have identified three basic type events. The first is the client appreciation event where the whole purpose of the event is to say thank you, to appreciate their business. A lot of advisors will say, you know, feel free to bring a friend, family member, guest, uh, hoping that they bring someone interested and qualified, but that doesn't usually happen. So then the advisor is disappointed. So if you really want them to bring someone who's interested and hopefully qualified, uh, think of it as a uh, personal invitation event. That's a different type of event. So uh, it, it, the invitation would go something like this. You know, Lester, you know, we like to put on events and, you know, we had the wine tasting. We had that we go to the racetrack every year. Uh, just grand old time with really as many people as can make it. Uh, we're doing another event uh, coming up. I want you to know about, you know, a lot of our clients do like to introduce us to others. And uh, so we found that in a social setting, it really is one of the best ways to do it because we're not going to talk business. We just get to know them on a personal level, have a little fun together. And then if the interest is continued, then, then we'll sit down and we'll, we'll talk business. And so we have this I'll just make it up, right? We have this wine tasting coming up in a month. I uh, just wanted to let you know about it. Wanted to see if you'd be open to in, thinking of someone inviting a person or a couple to the event for the purpose of introducing us in a, a low-key way. We're going to send a, a, an invite to you, so it'll remind you. And then we'll follow up afterwards. You know, can you make it? Who have you identified? And, and we'll go from there. So that type of language that I just gave there is it's very intentional, right? That person mm -hmm. knows this event is for introductions. The other events, great, we have fun, bring someone, doesn't matter. This event, that's the purpose of this event. And so therefore, uh, some of the events that I've seen folks doing virtually, and even after the pandemic's over, you know, these, this idea of virtual events won't go away. Virtual education events will definitely be, you know, stay. And I don't see why virtual fun events couldn't stay as well, maybe not as much, but uh, so one uh, team I've been coaching up in Canada uh, every month or maybe almost twice a month, they're doing a, a wine tasting with a client couple who invites another client couple uh, or a few couples. And they've uh, they found a wine shop uh, in the area that will deliver a bottle of wine. Um, and then the, the owner of the shop or the, you know, the, the expert in the shop will get on the zoom call and we'll talk about the wine, the pairings, the food and this, and they all have a little bit of wine and have some fun. And, and, uh, and he's used those as personal invitation events. Those are, those are, uh, are especially invitation events. Now, they're not just to have a good time. They are for the purpose of introductions.
I like um, that. Yeah. And um, uh, another uh, a woman also happened to be Canada. It's, it's, you know, I, that are coming to mind here. She did. This was actually when COVID first hit. Uh, she has a friend who's a musician, a piano player, very good, sings. Just brought some clients together online for a little mini concert performance. People loved it. They started uh, putting it on Facebook. She saw all the buzz that it got. And she says, you know, maybe I got something here. So, and one of the kickers on this that made it a special event is she had a charcuterie tray delivered to the home before this event, either one of her uh, staff or a family member would deliver this tray of food. And so uh, they, their cameras weren't on so they could be however they wanted to be while they enjoyed the music. And what started happening is she put on five of these over the course of several weeks. And without even really saying, you know, invite someone, people started saying, hey, can I invite this person? And uh, I mean, I, I personally probably would have been a little more purposeful, uh, but in spite of the fact she wasn't purposeful, she got a lot of referrals and, and, and business. She got a lot of new clients from this, just from, you know, doing what you do, right? Developing the relationship, caring, trying to figure out how do we make the best of this situation where we can't go out. Um, so that's just a, a few ideas. And, and then one other thing is, generally speaking, you want to keep events on the smaller side. Now, with Zoom, it, you know, it, I'm just thinking out loud a little bit. I guess it doesn't matter quite as much, but let's think through it. The, the whole point of, of an event is for connection. Right? You want to connect with these Absolutely. people. So whether they're guests or clients, larger the event, the thinner the connections. So True. for in-person events, I'm thinking dinner, no more than eight to 10 people fit around one round table, right? Otherwise you're doing the you know, wedding table hopping thing and you don't really get to connect with those folks. Um, if it's a wine tasting, if it's a bartender night if it's whatever you know it could be a little bit more because people are walking around schmoozing but just be careful uh don't get so eager to invite so many people and that they have this huge event but you don't really get to connect with any of them makes Especially sense yes so so i hope that helps a little bit it does thank you i've got some great ideas from there yeah good good so uh my final question uh i, I i've been asking this of all my guests uh some interesting answers I'd like you to think back, you know, or look back over the last 12 months or so. Um, what have you learned about your business? What have you learned about yourself? Uh, meaning how has Lester Matlock grown over the last year? If I can give that to you in a short version, I've, because I've been on about a three and a half year trek with this. Uh, <laughs> that, just so, do whatever comes to mind. So I, I think, Bill, one of the things that that has really come front and center for me is that I'm only human. And for years, I've tried to be all things to everyone. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening is you get burnout, you, uh, you don't get as much accomplished. And so we've we've heard it in various ways, keep it simple, small is good. Uh, so uh, the biggest learning for me here in the last year or so has been the, the word no in and of itself is a complete sentence. <laughs> yeah. And the more I say no, I've found, uh, the more doors actually open up. And it's weird when you think about it in that way. So 
So that, and, and then just taking necessary time to, to rest. Uh, when my body tells me, you know, it's time to, to rest and don't go so hard and don't go so fast. I'm listening to it now. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it sounds like uh, Lester Matlock has decided to take care of himself even more. You, you, like, you like to take care of others and help others do good things in this world. Uh, I think it's a, a sign of maturity, if you will. Not that you were immature. You know what I'm talking about. I understand. Yeah, I, think, I think it's a great thing. Uh, I could have used you a couple of weeks ago because uh, I found out I volunteered for something I didn't realize I had volunteered for. It's you know one of those things that where the line steps back and you're left in front. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, <laughs> well, Lester, this is a pleasure. It's a pleasure getting to know you. It's a pleasure to see what you're doing. Uh, it's, it's creative. Uh, it's clearly meaningful in the lives of other people. Uh, and it certainly takes you beyond uh, just the financial advisor part. But when you think about it, money touches every part of our lives, right? I don't care mm -hmm. what part of our life there's money in some way influences, touches, affects, impacts that part. And, and, and that's what you're doing. You're, you're being more, I guess, a more complete advisor. Uh, and I love it. Thank you for being on Top Advisor Podcast. Thank you for having me, Bill. This is Bill Cates, and you've been listening to the Top Advisor Podcast, sponsored by Proudmouth. Be sure to click the subscribe button so you don't miss the latest show. And feel free to share this and other episodes with your colleagues. And if you want to learn more about the work I do with other top advisors, just go to referralcoach.com.